Good morning. I tell you what, we had a uh, wonderful time yesterday evening for those who were able to come. If you had something in the, the craziness of this world and everything that's going on and has been going on the last few weeks and what's happening to, has happened to some of our loved ones with weather and what some of our loved ones are facing today, it's good to be with family, Christian family. And uh, we had a good turnout and I appreciate so much. Uh, Caleb and uh, and Julie and uh, and Caleb and Julie, but uh, and I want you to know, Julie, he thanks you in public before the prayer for the meal. So that came out of his mouth. But these, they they put this together for us, been planning it, uh, orchestrating it, and uh, everybody that came, everybody that helped, you know, set everything up, everybody who helped cook the food, everybody who helped clean up. Uh, it was a great time, and we appreciate the postman's weather. Uh, that we were able to get for this, but uh, just a few pictures, and uh, sorry about that. I know some of y'all probably skipped breakfast this morning, uh, but we still have some of these if, uh, if you want some. We've got some extras, so uh, appreciate that, and it's always, always good uh, to be in Christian fellowship, uh, because in the, the craziness of this world, it's good to come together and remind each other just by our presence together uh, that we are living for a higher purpose and we're living for, for Christ, and we're living for eternity, but we're living now. And so times like this in fellowship remind us uh, what eternity, just a glimpse of what that's going to look like as, as we share with our Lord. There's so many phrases that uh, were popular in pop culture in my lifetime. You know, where's the beef? That was a big one for Wendy's. You know, we love seeing Clara... Um, forgot her last name, but everybody remembers little Clara that did those commercials, you know. Pardon me, but do you have any gray poupon? Some of y'all remember that. A guy pulls up to the intersection, rolls down his, you know, his limo and asks for gray poupon mustard. Um, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters, exactly, yeah. So we've got, we've got these phrases. Or um, How about this one? Uh, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Remember David Banner, Incredible Hulk. And so we've got these phrases. And one of the most famous and in my lifetime emerged in 1987 Super Bowl 21 and so you had Phil Simms the MVP winning quarterback who was on the sidelines celebrating and so you know the camera pans to him and the announcer says hey MVP winning quarterback Phil Simms you just won the Super Bowl what are you going to do next and you know what he said I'm going to Disney World yeah, absolutely. Why, who wouldn't want to go to Disney World to celebrate the most magical, wonderful place on earth? Who would not want to go there? So Elijah, you just won the Super Bowl. You just defeated the false gods of the world. What are you going to do next? I'm going to run. <laughs> I'm going to run away. Run away? Why? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Three and a half years of devastating drought that the land has been under here. And Elijah has been a survivor. He has been surviving. He's made it to this part. And what he was able to do in this span of time was success. Because sometimes just making it is what matters. Just still being in faith at this point in your life after what you've been through is a victory. That's a victory. But see, sometimes we're not ready for the rain that we've been praying for. And so Elijah is strengthened by the Lord's blessing. He's strengthened for a while. And for a while, he's running ahead of the rain. He takes off and outruns the, the king's chariots and horses and outruns the rain that's coming here, the relief. 
ahead of all this because he's ready for his next assignment. Hey, God, we've done this now. Let's go. What's next? What's next? And so, you know, the Baal prophets are all dead. They're lying around on the ground. The idols' altars are all destroyed. Victory here. The Lord has relented. The rain is coming. And so now Elijah can do what he's supposed to do. You know what Elijah's supposed to do? What's the prophet supposed to do? Guide the king to lead the kingdom in the ways of God. That's his duty. To advise the king and keep him on track. So let's do this. Now it's time. He's ready to work with the king to guide this nation to follow the Lord. So he runs 17 miles on the fuel of this promise from God. It's coming to pass in his life here. And then something happens. Something happens. Because see, if the enemy cannot destroy your faith when you got nothing... Elijah's been through nothing. If he can't destroy your faith when you've got something, but it's not very significant, then the only other weapon he's got to keep you from receiving the blessing of God, the blessing God is ready to pour out on your life, the only thing else he's got is intimidation. And so Satan will use intimidation. See, Satan cannot keep it from reigning. He cannot keep God from blessing your life, but maybe he can keep you from receiving those blessings. So he's going to try. We use storm analogies to represent something we, we want to get out of. I'm trying to get through the storm, make it through the storm. We've got people who are literally hoping to make it through the storm. We run from Harvey. We run from Irma. And I get that. We run from those storms. But what if the storm, what if the storm God allows into your life is to prove His presence? Because maybe we need to celebrate our storm. Because see, God is with us even in the storm. And so the storm came. The rain came. 1 Kings 19 and verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, including a detailed account of how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Can you imagine that conversation? Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah with this warning. May the gods judge me severely. If by this time tomorrow I do not take your life as you did theirs. Okay, so this message comes to Elijah. And what I'm expecting next is for Elijah to tell Jezebel what she can do with that noise she just made. What she can do with her threats. I wish you would try. Because you know what I just... Did you not see what I just did? Did you not hear what I just did by the power of God? I wish you would try to come kill me. That's what I expect. So what comes next is shocking against the the boldness of this prophet who put his head between his knees and prayed for rain. This prophet who stood before these hundreds of false prophets. Survived three and a half years of drought. Fed by the mouth of birds. Fed by a destitute widow. And now the rain has come. the, The relief is here. The drought is over. And Elijah was afraid. Elijah was afraid. So he got up and fled for his life to Beersheba in Judah. Now, I could understand if he had run, run away during the drought. I could understand that, but it's raining now, Elijah. Relief is here, and now Elijah is running. He's running for his life. Because Jezebel threatened. Does Jezebel really think that she can kill him? 
I mean, when she sent this message, did she really think she could kill this prophet of God? Because if she could have sent him, if she could have killed him, she would not have sent messengers to deliver this. She would have sent her, her troops to arrest him. So what's going on here? See, Jezebel knows she cannot curse what God has blessed. The, 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 the world here has witnessed this power of God through this man. See, if Satan could kill us, he would have killed us by now. He would have physically struck us dead if he could do it. Don't you think? Don't you think? If he could keep it from raining, he would have kept it from raining. But since he can't kill you, he tries to contain you, so he intimidates you. And it works. So Elijah's running. He's running away from the same rain he's prayed for. Some of us are better at surviving in a famine than we are at living in a harvest. Sometimes it's easier to praise God in the storm than it is in the sunshine. So the one who ran ahead of the rain started running away from the rain. Elijah's faith had released this rain. And just as this nation is coming out of the drought... This prophet of God, this man of God is going into one. So it's that, it's that inner wilderness that many of us live in. We live in this. See, Elijah knows Jezebel can't kill him because he's just destroyed all this, these prophets. But his faith, see, his faith, as strong as it may have been, is now starting to weaken. It's that inner wilderness, that inner famine that we can live with. See, you can't see it. I can hide it. For a while, he's weary. His prophet, the holy fuel he's been running on now, is starting to run low. And so he, he left his servant there. While Elijah went a day's journey into the desert, he went and sat down under a shrub, a broom bush, and asked the Lord to take his life. I've had enough. Now, O Lord, take my life. After all, I'm no better than my ancestors. You ever been there? Have you been where Elijah is? Have you seen that place enough? I've had enough, Lord. I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. Moms, you've been there, right? Mom's been to enough. Single parents, you've been there? Caring for your declining spouse, you've been there, haven't you? Single people, dads struggling to carry the weight of their family on their tired broken down backs. You've been there enough. When the, when, when the rain keeps coming and you realize it's not what you were expecting because now you're drowning. Enough. Just enough. I think that's why James writes in his letter, James 5.17, Elijah was a human being like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And there was no rain on the land for three years and six months. He threw... Elijah, God spoke. And through Elijah, God stopped the rain. And through Elijah, God released the rain. But we don't need to get caught up in what Elijah did. Because I can't do any of that. So when I hear this, I'm like, oh, Elijah prophet, whatever. Why are we, you know, who cares? And It's not about Elijah. It's about God. God's about, God's about to have a memory test with Him. See, that's when we're not feeling it. We look for a shrub. When we think it's about us, we're not feeling it. We look for a shrub or a broom bush to collapse underneath and pray, God, just make it all be over. And we need to see who empowered Him to do it. Because right now, Elijah's not feeling it. 
Or perhaps, perhaps he is feeling it. He's feeling humanity. I've had enough. And we like, to, we like to come together. We come here together in a state of delusion, a state of denial, because everybody always thinks that it's about someone else. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. No. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Me. And just like the Apostle Paul who came to realize this truth, and he realized it through adversity. He realized it in the middle of hardship. He realized it in this famine of obedience in the world around him. Just as he came to realize that, and in, 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 in times his life he was running. So this prophet of God is learning through adversity. He's learning through hardship. He's learning through a famine of obedience in the world around him. And so learning wears you out. It wears you out. Doesn't it, guys? School wears, school wears you out. You've got you to be present. And it's tiring. And obedience can be tiring so much that you just collapse under your shrub and beg God, send Jesus back now. Because this is any place but Disney World. And sometimes it's not that we don't expect the rain. It's that we didn't expect the resistance. God, I expected the blessing. I just didn't expect everybody else to hate me for it. See, Baal is dead. And God is alive. So can't we just all go about our day and, and get life back to normal, do our Mount Sinai given duty as Israelites and just serve God together? And that, can't that be what we do now? That's what Elijah expected. And what he got was a death threat. The rain came. But it was a hurricane. Because with more blessings come more battles. With more blessings come more fights. We want God to enlarge our territory, then we realize with more territory we need a bigger lawnmower <laughs> because we've got more grass to mow now. It's too much. It's enough. And so we formulate this plan for how God should carry out His kingdom business. This is how God should do it because this is how I think He should do it. And this is how, God, you need to involve me. This is my role in this. And what we end up with is this mangled life that's no different than Ahab's kingdom where we're limping along on two opinions. We're stuck. We're straddling. We never really get anywhere. John the Baptist struggled with this as he witnessed God's kingdom. Walked away in a prison. Preaching repentance, he was arrested. Put in prison and for the king, doing his job. Doing his job, he was put in prison doing what God had sent him to do. And so Jesus now out here is moving along the purposes of God's kingdom. And so John sends a messenger and asks him, are you the one? Are you the one or should we expect someone else? Are you the one we're looking for? Jesus, is this how it's going to be? Is, is this what this looks like? Is this really what it means to serve God? Is this how it feels to serve God? Is this what it really means to be a Christian? Is it really going to be this hard? Jesus told him in Matthew 11, verse 4, Go back, messengers, and you tell John what's going on. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the wretched of the earth learn that God is on their side. And by the way, is this what you were expecting? Is this what you thought it was going to be to serve God, to live by Jesus? Because if so, 
Count yourselves most blessed because there's going to be some people who are going to have a rude awakening of what it means to commit their lives to Christ and to God. So if this is what you were expecting, then count yourself blessed. Because that's good, right? This, now all this is good, right? It depends on your perspective. It depends on what you were expecting. See, John wasn't expecting all of this. Elijah wasn't expecting all of this. And we never expect all of this when we serve God. I mean, we just won the Super Bowl. We're Christians now. We thought we were going to Disney World. But see, Satan has put out a shoot-to-kill order on us. You shoot their stamina. You shoot their marriage. Shoot their children. Shoot their resolve. Shoot their empathy for anyone else. Shoot their drive. Shoot their concern. You shoot their expectations. Because when I didn't expect this, when I didn't expect you to be like this, when I didn't expect it to be this hard, when I didn't expect it to last this long, when I didn't expect it to require so much of me, when Satan can shatter our expectations, then he can shatter our hope. And faith is the foundation for hope. So when Satan shatters our hope, our faith will collapse. And so in the middle of the wilderness with no strength and no stamina and no desire or will to live and no hope, God reminds Elijah and He reminds us that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. God is our only hope. And so Elijah stretched out and fell asleep under the shrub. And all of a sudden, an angelic messenger touched him and said, Get up and eat! And he looked, and right there by his head was a cake baking on hot coals and a jug of water. Breakfast in bed. <laughs> and he ate and drank and then slept some more. You ever felt like that? Wake up long enough, be conscious long enough just to eat a little something so you can just go back to sleep. Just turn it off again. The Lord's angelic messenger came back again, touched him and said, Get up and eat, for otherwise you won't be able to make the journey. See, Elijah, this is, this is not your destination. Where you have chosen to be right now is not where God wants you. And God is going to, give, He's going to provide for you the strength to move you to where He wants you to be. This is not it. Hiding here, collapsed here. This isn't it. So he got up and ate and drank. And that meal gave him the strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. How about that? God gave him the strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights. 40 to Sinai. 40 to the mountain of God. God's got a plan. We've talked about the QBQ before. Question behind the question. You know, when, when someone's asking you something and what they're asking you is not really what they want to know, there's actually a, a question, another question under there somewhere. They're really trying to get to the heart of, of an answer here. And so there's something deeper, something below the surface of that question. And so the obvious answer here, Elijah, why are you here? God says, why are you here? The obvious answer is, well, you brought me here, didn't you? You fed me, you brought me here. But God wasn't asking Elijah why he was out in Mount Horeb. God wasn't asking Elijah, why, why are you at this place? 
God's asking Elijah, why are you at this place? Why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you in this position? Why are you in this frame of mind? Why do you want to die? Talk to me. Because, Lord, the movie's supposed to end at the wedding. Because the, the, the hero's supposed to ride off into the sunset victorious. Because the little lost dog is always found. That's why, God. Because Superman always stops the villain. That's why. That's why I'm in this frame. That's, that's why I'm here. See, society operates on this illusion, which in turn creates within us a delusion. We find ourselves trapped there sometime. It's why the Apostle Paul says that at some point in most of his letters, he says, I write this to you because I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you not knowing how the world really operates. And I don't want you not knowing how God really operates in the world. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be delusional. I don't want you thinking up stuff that's not true. God knows what delusional can do to a Christian. It can have you curled up under a broom bush, begging for life to end, so to speak. Perhaps literally to speak. So Elijah went into a cave there and he spent the night. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to him. Why are you here, Elijah? He answered, I have been absolutely loyal to the Lord, the sovereign God, even though the Israelites, even though your people... <laughs> have abandoned the agreement they made with you, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and now they want to take my life. And so Elijah is trying to reconcile how he thought it would be with how life really is now. I mean, can't you imagine for three and a half years, three and a half years as, as Elijah has been waiting in the drought for God to give him the order to release this rain. And he's imagining when the rain finally comes, you know, he's got this picture. When the rain finally comes, the nation's going to turn back to God. We're going to have a, a big cookout and we're going to have a great party and, and everybody's going to be rejoicing again in the glory of God. That's what he's imagining. When it's finally proven to be true that you are God, this nation's going to bow down to you and, and once again we will worship you only. See, Elijah's goal was never rain. His hope was never rain. Elijah's goal was repentance. His hope was repentance. And as that first drop of rain fell on that dry land, it was more than the earth that was being refreshed. And when Jezebel, who's really running the nation, she's in charge here, she's the one that promoted the worship of these false gods. When she sent word to Elijah, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I don't believe his greatest fear was that he would die. I believe Elijah's greatest fear was that nothing was going to change. After all of this, and nothing has changed. That's when it gets hard, doesn't it? That's when it gets hard. It's not hard to sacrifice when you can see evidence of, of the significance of that sacrifice in your life. It's not hard to do it then. Lord, I did my job and, and I've done all of this and nothing has changed. I've got nothing left. I've got nothing. I'm spent. I'm worn out. I am. I am. I'm the only one left. I'm it. I'm the last hope for keeping the kingdom of God from falling headlong into apostasy. I'm, the, I'm it. And I don't want this responsibility anymore. I'm tired of being unique. I'm tired of 
fighting against this culture and trying to raise my kids in a godly way. And I'm, I'm tired of trying to live pure for God as a single person. I'm tired of forgiving 70 times 7. I can't even keep up with it. I'm tired of running uphill in life. I'm tired of the rain. Because it just seems to bring more trouble. See, we can forget that the blessing of God can get heavy sometimes. It's heavy. Elijah wasn't telling God, God, I don't want to serve you anymore. Those weren't his words. I don't even believe those were his thoughts. Elijah is saying, I don't know what else to do. I've done all that I can do. So I'm actually, I'm actually not just going to leave this relationship. I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm not necessarily going to quit the church. I'm just going, to, just going to withdraw a little bit at a time. I'm just going to erase a little bit of me at a time. Emotionally. I never even know I was taking my heart out of it. And this isn't the first time that Elijah's gotten stuck on this me, me, me. We, we looked at this too. But God needs to remember, it's not, it's not Elijah. You're saying, I am, I am, I am. And you need to remember that I am. It's what God needs Elijah to remember. He needs him to remember the great provider, Jehovah Jireh, whose purposes and perspective are greater than mine and yours and anybody in humanity. God didn't chastise Elijah for being tired. God knew. And He also didn't tell Elijah, suck it up, man. Get over, get over it. Move on. Get on with life. He didn't say that. God says, Elijah, things are changing. Things are changing. Things are different now. Maybe not visible to you. Maybe not as clearly as you would hope. Maybe not moving as fast as you would like for them to move. Maybe not even the same way you would imagine. But see, God is always at work to bring His will into reality in the lives of His children. The Lord said to him, you go back. You go back the way you came and then head for the desert of Damascus. You go and you anoint Hazael, king over Syria. And you must anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to take your place as prophet. And Jehu will kill anyone who escapes Hazael's sword. And Elisha will kill anyone who escapes Jehu's sword. You see, Elijah, I still have left in Israel 7,000 followers who have not bowed their knees to Baal or kissed the images of him. And how beautiful is this? How beautiful. God says, Elijah, my good and faithful servant, you enter into the rest that I've provided for you. Elijah, I know it's been hard. I know how you have sacrificed for me. I know how emotionally wrenching this whole season of drought has been. God says, I know. I know. But Elijah, here's what you need to know. You need to know you're not alone. Because you were never alone. Elijah was in isolation for three and a half years. And as far as we know, the only contact he had with anybody during that time was this widow and her son before God released the rain. See, that's what living in isolation will do to us. That's what stacking chairs in the activity center of your life will do. We don't need that many chairs. Let's just put a few out here right now. That's what making assumptions about other people will do. Because when we do that, we only leave room for certain people in our lives. And when we only allow certain people in our lives, our perspective begins to narrow. Just like Elijah. Yet, 7,000 
faithful children of God have been enduring, Elijah, have been enduring what you can only imagine as I fed you by ravens, as I provided water for you, as I made sure that this woman fed you. You can't imagine what everybody else was going through. Why? Because your perspective was too narrow. You were focused on you and what was going on with you. But God's got a bigger world out there. Elijah, while you were being fed by ravens, they were running from wolves. Yet they all managed, they all managed to remain faithful to God, irrespective of their circumstance. And God showed Elijah the reason that he had collapsed. Elijah, the reason you've collapsed here is not because of your situation. Elijah, the reason you collapsed is because of your perspective. You're seeing things right now. This great prophet. Eagerness for the welfare of God, for his concern for God's purity, he had been longing, as we often do, for this mighty wind of the Spirit of God blow through this nation and cleanse these people out. But no wind came. Nothing was happening. He hoped for a political earthquake. God, bring me an earthquake and and shake this throne, overthrow this throne of Ahab and this godless queen Jezebel and destroy the idols around them. But no earthquake came. And he longed for a searching, scorching blast of fire from heaven coming down and consume the forces of heathenism in this nation. None of it happened. But what Elijah learned, as we must learn, is that it's a still, small voice of an awakening conscience. It's the most powerful force in all the world. The still, awakening voice of a conscience that's being turned back to God is stronger than any Category 5 hurricane that's ever touched the earth. That's where God moves. God doesn't move in the wind and the waves. He moves in the hearts of humanity. Sometimes we can lose our focus. Sometimes we can be overcome by the will of God. God, I've been doing, I think, everything right. And yet, God, I'm trying to be a good example, but look at this. God, I'm trying to be faithful to You. And they just keep on piling it on me. God says, don't give up. Don't crawl under your broom bush and beg to die. Remember, I have thousands, thousands, thousands of faithful children. But when our perspective becomes so narrow that it's all about me, I think it's just me. I'm the only... I'm the only righteous one. I'm the only good one. I'm the only faithful one. Just us. Put those chairs away. Just keep these right here. And slowly but surely, Satan works his way in. And then when something does happen, which should otherwise be insignificant, it becomes a shattering experience. And not only does it shatter our hope, not only does it shatter our desire, our will, it shatter our faith. Not just our faith in God. God, I would never turn my back on you. But them? That's how Satan works. I think God reminds us through Elijah that that's not how God works. Because God works through us. He works through us. But only if we let Him. This morning, 
crawl out from under your broom bush. Take the hand of Jesus who's calling you back. If it's repentance, if it's sin that has put you there, then God has called you to repent of that. Ask His forgiveness and He will forgive. He is faithful and true. And if you're not a child of God, you're still running. You're still running looking for something that you're never going to find until you look up. Because Jesus Christ came to this earth and He took everything that we cannot even imagine being able to bear and He put it upon Himself. And because of that, He became chastised and shamed and repulsive because of our sin. And yet with love and obedience to God, He took that to the cross and was nailed there And God looked and said, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And as God raised Him from the grave, and as Jesus reigns with Him today for eternity as our Lord and Savior, God still says, Hear ye Him. Can you hear Him today? He's not in the thunder. He's not in the lightnings. He's in that still, small voice that's saying, Come to Me. Come to Me. Come to Me. If we can encourage you this morning through prayer, if you're ready to be baptized into Christ, will you come, not to me, will you come to Christ, will you come to God this morning as we stand and sing this song?